We are in a series called Faithful Church, and this morning we're talking about what it means to be faithfully Trinitarian. Our passage is Ephesians 5, 18 to 21, and Ellen Weigerbauer is going to read God's word to us this morning. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ellen, for reading. And if you were here last week or watching last week, the scripture may sound similar. This is a parallel passage to the Colossians passage that um, Justin preached from last Sunday. And uh, there's the, the big difference in these passages is at the beginning and the end, and we're going to spend some time uh, at the end of this message focusing on particularly verse 18 and what it means to be filled with the Spirit, but let's begin asking God to meet us and help us as we get going here. Oh God, as we gather in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray now that you would strengthen us with power through the Holy Spirit in our inner being. We acknowledge we need you. We look to you. We pray as we sing that you would tune our minds and our hearts to you, to the glories of your kingdom and your grace. Help us to set aside all distractions and worries. Help us to set aside sleepiness and all that would hinder us from hearing your word coming to us through the means of preaching by the power of the spirit. We pray now in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to encourage you to keep your Bibles open or on uh, as, as we go through this message. I'm going to refer to a number of passages, particularly in this letter to the, to the Ephesians. So as we get started this morning, I want to ask you a question. Where do you look for your sense of purpose, for significance? What gives you hope? Recently, I came across some comments from Sally Quinn. She's been one of the insiders in the Washington DC social scene for decades. She has hobnobbed with presidents and politicians, with the powerful and the wealthy and the famous. But COVID caused her to leave DC for a while and do some reflecting. And she, here's what she realized, she writes this. She says, I didn't wanna be part of the Washington social scene as I had known it. Somehow it all felt superficial and unimportant and a waste of time. What I had once thought was a glamorous and exciting life filled with power and celebrity no longer had any appeal to me. What I once thought had been a glamorous and exciting life filled with power and celebrity. She's hobnobbing with the rich and the powerful and the famous decade after decade. And she comes to this point of recognizing what she'd looked for for purpose for significance, for excitement, for a fulfilling life. She says it didn't, it didn't deliver. And I wonder as we gather here this morning, I wonder if you've had that experience. Or I wonder if maybe you're in the midst of that kind of reevaluation of your own life right now, rethinking, what am I really here for? What's my purpose? What's it all about? You know, the reality is, the message of the Bible, 
the message that Jesus brings to us is that we are designed by God to find our satisfaction and our sense of meaning and purpose through knowing him. And the social scene that we were designed for is called the church. The people that Paul is writing to in this letter, they're on the other side of these reflections and realizations. Their lives have been reoriented so that Christ is now at the center. They didn't always live that way, but they are now. And the social scene of their lives has been reoriented so that the church is at the center of their community life. And that's what we're talking about in this series called Faithful Church. We are together as two churches, Sojourn Church and Redeeming Grace Church, that have combined into one new church. So what's our vision? What kind of a church do we want to be? Well, simply put, we hope to be a faithful church, a church faithful to God, faithful to one another, faithful to the world. Now, these messages are a little different than when we preach through the Gospel of John or 2 Corinthians, we're turning to selected passages of Scripture by design to highlight key topics that give us the foundations for a healthy church life. So last week we heard Justin preaching to us from Colossians 3 about this faithful gathering. What do we do when we gather? The great illustration he gave at the beginning of the message, the kids run out on the baseball field and then they say, what do we do now? All right, well, here we are. Okay, so what do we do now? We heard some about that last week. Today, I want to ask a different question about the same gathering. The question isn't, what do we do now? The question is, who is this God who summons us? Who is this God that we worship? Who is this God who calls us to be filled with the Spirit? So this is going to be an upward-oriented message. The question I'm going to pose is, who is this God who calls us to gather? And I want to answer in three ways from this passage. First, he is three persons, but one God. He is this tri-unity. Now, I want to just ask a question. How does what's happening right here, this gathering, how does it differ from a gathering, say, over at the corner where the Buddhist temple is or at the Mormon church up the street? Aren't all religions really the same? Aren't we all just about kind of loving people and, and, and maybe saying that in a little different way? You know, there may be similarities between religions, but the message of Christianity is actually unique. All religions feature some sort of self-improvement, some sort of path of ascent by which humans climb a spiritual ladder to God. All religions feature that in some fashion, save one. The message of Christianity is radically different in that way. For our message is the message of God descending, not humans ascending. God descending to become one of us and then taking our place to die in our place on the cross. The message of Christianity is different because the Christian God is different. And God makes himself known to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's working in the background of our passage. Did you catch that? The references to God in this passage, do you really need them? Sometimes we can approach Christianity and say, just give me the list of things to do. Okay, what am I supposed to do? Okay, be filled with the Spirit, do some singing, submit to one another. Good, okay, I'm good to go. That's a good message. Let's go do it. But there's all this God language here. Did you catch it? Look at your, look at your text again. Look at verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Look at verse 
19, the second part, singing and making melody to the Lord. Look at verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Are those just throwaway phrases? Like, you know, when you see someone, hey, how you doing? Maybe you don't even get an answer. It's just a throwaway phrase. Like, are these just throwaway phrases? And I want to say, no, these are vital to understanding what Christianity is all about. We can't know how to live if we don't know who we're relating to as our God, who we're worshiping. Which one of these spirit, Lord Jesus Christ, God our Father, which one of these is really God? Or do we actually serve three gods? Well, the answer as we look in all of Scripture is that we serve one God, not three gods. But this one God is a unique being in that he exists in three persons, each one distinct and each one fully God. This little illustration that I have for you has been helpful to me. If you look in the middle there, there's God in the circle in the center. And then look at the tips of the triangle. You have Father, Spirit, and Son. And so God is Father, and God is Spirit, and God is Son. The Son is God, the Father is God, the Spirit is God. The Son isn't more God than the Spirit. The Spirit isn't less God than the Father. All are equally God. And yet, look at the circle on the outside. The Father is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. They are distinct persons within this unity. We are a monotheistic religion, a one God religion. And, and yet within that one God, there are these, there's a community of three distinct persons. Now, why spend time on this in a sermon? Does this really matter? Isn't this maybe just kind of more for like people who are academics or maybe need to defend the faith or something like that. And the reality is many Christians are satisfied with not thinking much about these things and, and, and can just live in a shallow and sort of superficial Christianity. But hear me, the truth of the Trinity is vital and it is glorious because the Trinity and the gospel are not separable. They go together. If you ignore the Trinity, the gospel makes no sense. No Trinity, no gospel. If you explore our triune God, you will discover the glories of his grace. Think about it. Think about the things that we've been working on even in this series. The Father chose us. The Son redeemed us. The Spirit seals us. That's chapter 1 of Ephesians. The Son doesn't seal us. The Spirit doesn't choose us. They have distinct roles within this saving work that we call the gospel. The Father plans salvation. The Son carries out salvation. The Spirit applies salvation. The Spirit doesn't become one of us as a human being. The Son does. The Father doesn't seal or apply salvation to us, the Spirit does. We give thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father. Why? Why is that little phrase in there? Why do we end our prayers in Jesus' name? We do that because of the Trinity. 
We do that because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is our mediator, our great high priest. He's the go-between who opens the way for sinners like us to be adopted children into God's family so that we can come and live in the happy land of the Trinity. Christ is our access to the Father. That's why we come to the Father in the name of the Son. And the Spirit gives us new hearts and new eyes and ears to see and hear and respond to these things so that the truths of these things don't just bounce off our heads or just go through our ears like they once did. But now, with hearts made new and eyes open to these things, we want to sing. And we want to talk about these things with one another. And we want to give thanks and submit to one another. Oh, this great God, I encourage you to explore the mysteries and the glories of the blessed Trinity. Right here in this text, this is the God we worship. He's the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is also, second thing I'll say from this passage, he's the object of, of our worship. He is the object of our worship. This may sound like, well, duh, of course he is, but I want you to th think about this, and I'm going to contrast this with how, how easily and quickly we can lose track of this, even in our worship services in our own lives. But let's, let's follow the text here. In this text, there are two commands and four participles, which is a, 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 a linguistic way of saying there are four activities. Okay, so did you catch the two commands? There's a negative command, don't do this, but instead do that. Not this, but that. Okay, what? Look at verse 18. What's the do not? Well, do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. That means dissipation. It means it, it, it just empties you out, turns you into nothing. It, it, that's debauchery, but don't do that, but be filled with the Spirit. There are the two commands. So let's just pause there. What's wrong with getting drunk? Well, getting drunk is giving alcohol control of your life. This isn't having a glass of wine. This is getting drunk. And so what happens is then you do and say things that you regret or you don't remember. You imperil other people. You get behind the wheel of a car. You are looking to alcohol maybe to give you peace or pleasure or boldness or to avoid pain. And those are all things that God is intended to do and be in your life. It's a God substitute. And it's part of the old way of living. Look back at chapter four and verse 17. This, this big section that, that we're in here in, in this letter starts in chapter four, verse 17. Look what it says. He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their Minds. That's the old way of living, walking in the futility of your minds, walking with you at the center of things, walking in ways that ignore God and displease God. He says it again in a different way in chapter 4 and verse 30. Look there. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The, that's the old way of living. The new way of living, chapter 5, verse 1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. That new way of God we heard in the first message in the series from chapter 1, God makes possible choosing us before creation, redeeming us through Christ, sealing us by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And now, this new way of living involves activities. And those are the, the participles that come up in the passage. So he says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And, and then what comes out of that? You address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You, you're singing and making melody to the Lord. You're giving thanks always. You're submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This new way of living has God at the center. And God is the object of our living. So when we address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, how is God the object of our worship in that? Well, we're talking to one another about the great things that God is doing and the great person that God is. And when we sing and make melody to the Lord with all our heart, and I love this because I can't sing on key, but I can sing in my heart and with my heart and from my heart. Right? So when we sing and make melody that way, we're expressing to the Lord Jesus the joy of being saved through faith. And when we give thanks to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus, we're honoring Christ for bringing us near to God. And we're honoring God that in the midst of everything that's going on, he's always up to something good. He's always there in his redeeming power. And we submit to one another, not just because it's some arbitrary rule, but out of reverence for Christ, because Christ comes and gives us a new way to live humbly, seeking to serve one another and to, to live out ordered relationships in our homes and families. See, once we were God, once we were self-centered worshipers, that's the old way, walking in the futility of our minds. But the new way is now we're imitating God. We're not worshiping ourselves anymore. We're not worshiping created things anymore. We're not finding purpose and significance in our success, in our resumes, in our things, in, in what we look like. No, we find our significance and our purpose, our happiness and our hope in God, our great triune God. And so when we gather on Sundays, we gather for God-centered singing and God-centered preaching and God-centered fellowship and God-centered sacraments. And the most important person at this meeting isn't the guy who's giving the sermon. It's the God who makes the meeting possible. That's the most important person here. That's the one we want to leave thrilled by and amazed by. When we gather, success isn't leaving this room with amazing feelings. It's nice when that happens. But success is faithfully worshiping God by lifting our voices to the praise of his glorious grace. By hearing his word and seeking to do it by the power of the spirit with humble hearts. This may seem so obvious, but just stop and think. Not so easy, is it? Don't we walk in with a million distractions? It's so easy to just go through the motions. It's so easy for a worship service to just become routine. And I want to remind you, it's about the triune saving God. Let me just give you one example we have to continually work on, and that's, that's songs. That's our songs. The reality is, and this is nothing new, it's not a current thing, this has been happening probably as long as people have been writing songs. Songs aren't all created equal, right? And some songs can subtly displace God as the object of our worship and end us, end up having us really sing more about ourselves than about God. Sing about our feelings and our experiences. Songs can be shallow and superficial. Songs can fall short of honoring our great God. I came across a song recently. It's called, When I Lock Eyes With You. I love to get lost 
in you because you're my obsession. Now, I don't even know what that means. I, I, I don't doubt the sincerity of the songwriters, but how do you lock eyes with Jesus? And, and Jesus isn't my boyfriend. He's my Lord. And, and I just, he's worthy of, of, of greater, more holy words than those kinds of words. We want to be thoughtful about our songs. We, we do our best to intentionally choose songs that leave us more aware of God than ourselves. We want you leaving this meeting more aware of God than yourself. We want songs that are God-centered, songs that are Christ-exalting, songs that are congregationally singable, songs that accent joyful proclamation that the tomb is empty and Christ lives. Now, we're all in the process of learning a bunch of new songs right now as we're blending our song lists together from the two churches. But anytime you come across great, Christ-centered, God-glorifying, congregationally singable songs, please let us know about those. So who is this God who summons us to gather? He's the triune God, and he is the object of our worship, the most important person when we gather. Finally, He's the one who commands us to be filled with the Spirit. Verse 18 begins right there. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And, and this is a, the big change from the parallel passage that we looked at last week. Last week, Justin highlighted at the beginning of that passage that we uh, want to let the word of Christ dwell among us or in us richly, singing. And, 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 and giving thanks as we, as we see here. And we do want to be a community in whom the word dwells richly. But these passages travel together wonderfully. We can be a word-centered community if we're a spirit-filled community. And if we're a spirit-filled community, we'll be a word-centered community. What does it mean to be filled with the spirit? What does that mean? If you're going to write down you know, 25 words or less. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? What, what does it mean? Well, let's just, let's, let's look carefully at what's being said here. When he writes, be filled with the Spirit, there's a y'all in there. Justin talked about you all, y'all, those plural yous last week. There isn't even a you in our English, but in the Greek, in the verb, that be filled, that second person plural. So you know what that means? That's a call to a congregation. Church, be filled as a congregation with the Spirit. Now, of course, if the church is going to be filled, the individuals need to be filled. To take the negative, if you've got a group of drunk people, what do you have? You have a bunch of individual people who had too much to drink and now they got together. If you have a church that's filled with the Spirit, what do you have? You have a group of people that are individually filled with the Spirit. So these things work together. What does that mean to be filled with the Spirit? How can a church be filled with the Spirit? Well, if you know your Bible, you can figure this out. It makes sense. I want to take you back to the Old Testament. When Solomon built the temple for God... When the temple was dedicated, 2 Chronicles 5, it says when they dedicated the house of the Lord, that's the temple, do you remember what happened? Something filled the house. It wasn't people. The glory of the Lord filled 
the house. The presence of God was there so powerfully the people couldn't even go into the house. So now you've got this picture of the house of God, the place of God's manifest presence filled by his presence and it's a place for his people to dwell with him. Now, there's a promise that we need to pick up as a thread to get back to Ephesians here. The promise is, in, is Ezekiel 36, 22. Ezekiel, the prophet, says, God says through him, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put where? Within you. And Jesus comes and he says to his disciples before he ascends, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father. Wait for the promise of the Father. You know what that promise is? It's this. It's that God is going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. Young men, young women, old men, old women. God is going to pour out his spirit on all of his people. And at Pentecost, and someone told me today is actually Pentecost Sunday. We didn't plan this sermon for this day, but it makes sense, doesn't it? We're thinking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And at Pentecost, God poured out his spirit and the church was born, the people of God came together in a new way, now individually filled with the Spirit, but also as a Spirit-filled temple. 1 Corinthians 3.16, you are God's temple, the Spirit dwells in you. Look at chapter 2 and verse 22 of this letter to the Ephesians. In Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God. What does that sound like? That's temple language. By the Spirit. See, the same thing is here. Do you know who we are this morning? We are the people of God brought together in Christ and we are being built together as a holy dwelling. We are a living temple. You are living stones making up this living temple and somebody else is here with us. The Holy Spirit of God comes to fill this temple. As we gather, the Spirit fills this house made up of his Spirit-filled people. Y'all be filled with the Spirit. May the Spirit fill this temple. Okay, that's all right there in be filled. I want you to notice too, when he says be filled, it's not a suggestion. Hey, here's an idea. Try this out. See how it goes. If you don't like it, it's okay. No, he says, be, this is a command. It's imperative. It's urgent. It's not an idea for consideration. God, our king, directs us, summons us, commands us. This is not a bad command. Is this hard to fulfill? Like, oh man, I wouldn't, like, would I really want to be in the presence of God? Like, filled? This is a wonderful thing. Be filled with the presence of God's spirit. It's a command. And then I want you to notice, the tense of the verb. It's a present tense verb. Now, present tense in Greek is a little different than present tense in English because in, in Greek, there's a sense of not only that it's happening right now, but that it's happening continuously. It doesn't just happen once. So it would be appropriate to translate this, keep on being filled continuously, day after day after day, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, in 2019, in 2020, in 2021, in 2022. That's what's being said here. Keep on being filled. Oh, may we be a spirit-filled congregation. Isn't that cool? How do you do it? Well, he doesn't actually tell us. 
hate it when that happens. Don't you wish there was a list of, and here are the 10 things you need to do now to fulfill being filled by the Spirit. So what do we do when we don't get the recipe for how to do that? Well, it's fascinating to read all the commentaries because the interpreters are all over the place in how to do this. Well, we got to do, it's, it's by means of this. No, it's the result of this. When we aren't sure about how to answer a question like this, the first step in interpreting our Bibles is always to look in the context of what's going on right around here. Because Paul assumes they're going to be able to figure this out. And the first thing that's going on in this context are these activities that I referred to earlier. How do we become a spirit-filled church? Well, first, by doing the things that we see in this passage. You see what they are? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence to God. He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's a person. But if you live this way, this is the kind of temple that the Spirit's going to fill, right? So these are the means by which Spirit filling can come about in a congregation. That's part of how we can be Spirit filled. Do these things. Second thing is uh, we can look in a slightly wider context as we did earlier and we can say, walk in this new way in Christ. Live the new life in Christ. Again, we've been working on this in our series a couple weeks ago. May, uh, faithful unity, back in chapter one. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've received. Maintain the unity of the Spirit, not a throwaway phrase. Don't grieve the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. If we walk in this new way, God at the center, not in the futility of our minds, but as imitators of God, if we walk in this new way, the result is going to be that we're going to be filled. Third, you can ask. You can ask God. We can ask God to fill us with his spirit. This prayer is right here in this letter, chapter 3 and verse 16. Here's a prayer that may, may God grant you, church, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's a prayer to pray for one another and a prayer to pray for our church. Jesus says it this way. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who what? Who ask. So God, we just pray right now. Give us more of the Holy Spirit. Fill this temple with your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. See, we've been sealed by the Spirit once and for all. God has laid claim to us and assures us that we belong to him. But we need to be filled with the Spirit. How often? A lot. Why? Because you leak. That's your problem. Your leaky vessels, these clay pots, we leak. And so we need to be filled over and over and continually. We need to be filled as individuals. We need to be filled as a congregation. Now, I know sometimes the ministry of the Spirit can be kind of spooky and, and weird and scary. And the reality is there are reasons. Maybe some of us have had experiences where you've been in churches or congregations or settings where weird or strange or inappropriate things were done in the name of the Spirit, even unbiblical things. And, and the reality is it's hard to relate to a spirit, isn't it? Like, 
God, we have this connection with Father. We kind of know how fathers work. And Jesus is a, like he became one of us. There's a, a human part of his, his, his being. But like the Spirit, like the Holy Ghost, it's just hard to kind of grasp and get your head around. And it's easy to become maybe a suspicious or cautious. But, but the Spirit is a person, a person who can be grieved, a person who can be more or less present. And the Spirit... Oh, church is a person to be welcomed, not feared. Let's be at least as excited about the ministry of the Spirit as the Apostle Paul. And he was so excited. Just read through Ephesians and just highlight wherever you see the ministry of the Spirit. Read through his letters and you'll see the Spirit is God's empowering presence. It's the wonderful grace of the new covenant that his Spirit is now come to live in us. If you'd like to know more about being filled with the Spirit. There'll be some resources available uh, sent out in the email after the service. If you're not sure how to get that, just send an email to the church and we'll, we'll, we'll get them to you. Vince is going to do a class on spiritual gifts at some point this summer. We're working on, on dates. And, and let's remember, being a Spirit-filled church means being a church where the fruit of the Spirit abounds. Love, joy, peace, patience. Being a Spirit-filled church means being a church where the gifts of the Spirit are working and so teaching and hospitality and all leadership and all these wonderful things. Oh, church, hear God's word to us. Be filled. Be filled with the Spirit. Who is this God who summons us to gather? He is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is the object of our worship. He is the God who calls us to be filled with his spirit. And he's the God now to whom we turn as we prepare to receive the Lord's Supper.